0: Awesome. It's great to see you. You can have a seat. Well, this morning we're diving into a new series, a series based in the book of First Peter. And as I was thinking about, really, the crux of the matter, what caused Peter to write this letter? What's this letter really about? Uh, what's the motivation here? I couldn't help but think about a situation that came up in my own life a couple years ago. It really reminded me of, of some of why Peter wrote this letter. You see, about two years before I left uh, Lansing to move here and be part of you here at MCC, there was this guy who came up. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Man, I only paid him ten bucks for that. That was good. And uh, 20 next time. We'll, uh, we'll make that work. And uh, this guy comes up after I spoke one morning. And he's about 26, 27 years old. His name was Chris. And he came up after the service, and he asked me, he said, you know, Phil... Would you be willing to to mentor me? I thought, what a great question, right? And this guy at this point, 26, 27, he was way too successful for a guy that age. I mean, he was making a boatload of money, very successful in business, and yet he comes up and he says, will you mentor me? He says, I want to be a better husband. I'm going to have a child. I want to be a good father. And, And we're talking about discipleship. I want to know what it looks like in my life, he's saying, you know, to to make disciples. What does that look like? How do I do that? So will you mentor me? And I said, well, absolutely. And so we began meeting every single month. We met for a couple years before I left uh, to come here. And every so often when we met, he would say, he'd just break the conversation. He said, you know what, my wife, uh, she's got a story. She's got to tell you about her life, but it's her story, not mine. I just hope one day she'll be able to, to tell you. And then he'd go on. I never knew what was going on. I'd been over to their house a couple different times, saw her then, think, well, maybe she'll unload this story on me, you know, always wondering, like, what's the story, right? Well, it came to be the last week that I was in Lansing. We're packing up the house, getting ready to move. And In the mail, I got this card, a thank you card from her. And I, as I opened it up, she first thanked me for being the pastor there at the church. And then she thanked me for pastoring her husband. And the difference they'd seen in their marriage as a result of all that. She was thankful for that. And then she said something like this. She said, you know what, I know how hard it is to be a pastor. That's why I'm thanking you. She says, because, because my father was a pastor. I thought, oh, well, Chris had never mentioned that before. And then she went on to write about her father. What an incredible guy he was. I mean, he was so faithfully committed to his children. Faithfully committed to his wife. And she couldn't say enough about his humility. Just what a wonderful man he was. He loved God. So devoted to the church, she said. And, and he actually pastored that church for like 20 years of time. But over that 20 years as he pastored that church, she said he'd been wounded many times by the actions of people, the words of people. And so he's kind of a walking wounded individual as he was trying to pastor that church. And then, she said, came... Pastor Appreciation Sunday. Well, I've heard about Pastor Appreciation Sunday, but I'd never been part of a church that actually had Pastor Appreciation Sunday. I thought, like, what a great idea. Like, we should start this, right? And so there's actually a day set aside in the calendar where we have Pastor Appreciation Sunday. I've just never been part of a church that's done that. And, and so along came Pastor Appreciation Sunday, and this was something they did every single year in their church. They could rely on it. So along comes this day, this Sunday, And no one said anything. No cards were written. Just kind of silent. And then after the service was over, a group of people came up to him and let him know that their church would be better off if he weren't around. And along with that hurt, along with the previous hurts that he had had, her dad went home after church that day and ended his life. This man who loved his family Loved his wife, loved God, loved the church. Took his own life. Why? He had forgotten who he was. He had forgotten who he was. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And as a kid growing up, many times we said a phrase like that because somebody would say something and it makes us feel bold, makes us feel strong and powerful when we say something like that. But the reality is very different. The reality is that our bones will heal a whole lot quicker than the wounds inflicted upon us by other people who who mean to do us harm. You know words, you know what I'm talking about. Words like stupid, loser, fat, pathetic, ugly, mistake. Anyone who's the recipient of those kinds of words in their lives, suddenly they have a whole lot in common with that pastor I just talked about. It's easy for them to forget who they are. So as we dive in today and as we take a look at 1 Peter, I just want to start with this question. Do you know who you are? Or have you forgotten who you are? Have you forgotten who you are? In the midst of the twists and turns of life, in the midst of a culture that's increasingly opposed to Christianity, in the midst of all the voices and disappointments you face throughout your life, have you forgotten who you are? And has your forgetting led you to a place of confusion, disillusionment perhaps, a sense of numbness not only in your life but in your spiritual life as well? Have you forgotten who you are? And if you have, there's good news today because we're diving into First 1 Peter. And as we take a look at this series, what we're going to do is we're going to be exploring how God really sees us. You see, when that comes into focus, we can live in light of who we are. So do you know who you are? The people that Peter originally wrote to, they had forgotten. They had forgotten. They were living in a culture that was much worse than ours, greatly opposed to Christianity. In fact, in the time that Peter's writing this, Christians were being used as light posts, literally lighting Christians up on fire to light up the city. Okay, People opposed to Christianity. They're being mistreated, harsh words against them. And in the midst of all these destructive things and destructive voices, these Christians had forgotten who they were. And so Peter begins to write them. And as he writes them, Peter clearly understands how God sees them because Peter knows how God sees him. And armed with this clarity, Peter, what does he do? He, he lives radically. Ultimately, he changes the world because Peter knew who he was. And so he wanted these Christians to know as well. He wants us to know as well because there is power, friends, when we know who we are. Peter wanted us to know who we are. And so he begins writing and he says this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, To God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And so right off the bat, Peter, what he's trying to do is to get their attention. He calls them God's elect. And he's trying to help them understand that no matter what they faced, no matter how bleak their situation was right now in their life, no matter how clouded their future outlook seemed, he was saying to them, don't forget who you are, and don't forget whose you are. And so in order to kind of make matters very clear, Peter told these people he's telling us about a remarkable truth that when properly understood will help every single person here understand how God sees you. Peter told them that you are a people who have been chosen. You've been chosen. You ever thought about that, the fact that you're following Christ because you have been Chosen. I was watching on TV a couple weeks ago, Kirk Cousins, uh, this guy was named uh, the head quarterback for the Washington Redskins. We'll see how they do uh, this weekend. And, and he was named the quarterback. And in this interview, one of the people asked him, Kirk, how does it feel to know that you're not just starting in the next game, you're actually the quarterback. This is your team. You've been chosen for this. And Kirk says, it means everything. It means everything because it gives you power when you have that kind of faith behind you. So let me ask you, if you're a Christ follower here today, how would you finish this sentence? God chose me according to what? Your intelligence? Your looks? Your determination? Your generosity? Your good intentions? Just how is it that God chose you? You see, being chosen for something, as we we think about this, being chosen for something important doesn't normally happen without some kind of strings attached, right? I mean, if you're going to be chosen to play in the NFL, you better prove yourself first in the college field, right? And then prove yourself again at the NFL Combine. You better think fast, run even faster, and display skills that are superhuman, And in order to be chosen, of course, to star on Broadway, you better prove yourself first by auditioning for roles that pay you pennies, if anything at all, and then eke out a life, hopefully one day having the opportunity to audition in New York. Now, I know it's going to surprise you. There was never a day when anyone ever thought about choosing me to play in the NFL. All right? It was never even a moment, okay? And I was never chosen to star on Broadway either because, you see, I'm not that good. I'm not good enough. And here's the reality. It's, it's the reality in our lives, friends. That in order to be chosen for something significant, it always requires someone to do something significant. I'm going to say that again. In order to be chosen for something significant, it always requires someone to do something significant. And always is a universal qualifier. What do we know about them? They're usually wrong somewhere along the line, Right? And Peter says, that's not true. This this idea that you have to do something significant in order to be chosen. Don't buy the lie because that's not how God works. And even so, these people have been walking with Christ. They should have known that. They had forgotten that because all the pressure around them had broken their self-esteem. That's why Peter writes to them and he refers to them as scattered. They're forgotten. They're devalued. That's how they feel. And that's why Peter writes this letter reminding them of how incredibly special they were. Do you really know how special you are? Do you know that when God looks at you, he sees you as treasured, precious, and prized? That's how God sees you. Do you know how special you are? It doesn't matter what you've done in the past, it doesn't matter what happened here on the way to church. God looks at you and he sees you as incredibly special. And Peter writes to them he's letting them know this. And he says, God shows them according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The foreknowledge. Now God's foreknowledge plays central for Peter. We're going to come back to this theme again in a couple of weeks in verse 20 of chapter 1. Because it's important to Peter. And if it's important to Peter and also to Paul, well then it must be important to us. And now foreknowledge... In the Greek, comprised of two elements here. First of all, pro, meaning before. And gnosis, meaning knowledge. So, knowledge beforehand. Basically, foreknowledge. Now, a lot of people, of course, are very comfortable with God knowing all things. A lot of people are comfortable with God foreknowing all things. But when they start to get the idea that his foreknowledge has something to do with them, eventually they come to the point in their Christian walk where they ask a question, something like this. Does God choose me or do I choose God? Does God choose me or do I choose God? Because when I chose to follow Christ, it felt like it was my decision. It felt like I chose him, and yet we see here in Scripture that that he writes, Peter writes, that God chose us. So the question then is this how does this choosing come about? And this is where I'm going to need for you to really pay full attention. Because this is a theological concept that has caused many to get confused. How does this come about? Well, there's two views. Two key views uh, in theology. One is this. Foreknowledge view one is this. That before they were created, God chose people based on their ability to eventually choose Him. Think through that a second. Before people were created, God chose them based on their ability to eventually choose Him him and so this view holds that god looked down the tunnels of time he he saw you because he knew he was going to create you and then he saw a moment where you were going to decide to choose him you were going to decide to to put him on your team and as a result then before you were ever born god chose you to be on his okay that's one view of foreknowledge and the view holds of course that to be chosen in this manner requires that you're humble enough spiritually hungry enough, and smart enough to choose God on your own. This view holds that that I'm choosing God. I'm smart enough to make the call to choose God. It starts with me. That's one view of foreknowledge. The reality is you've got to be pretty smart to choose God on your own, and neither Peter nor Paul actually thought anyone was that smart. In fact, Paul wrote, he says, There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. See, left to ourselves, we're going to choose our own path. We're going to choose what's easiest. We're going to choose what's expedient, what's best for us in the moment. It doesn't matter, right? So we're not going to seek God on our own. In order to kind of make his point, Paul goes on a little bit later in Romans, and he, he draws a comparison between how salvation works and how these two brothers in the Old Testament lived and treated each other. So hold on here, because he talks about these two twins. So let me kind of frame it for you, because in the Old Testament, the younger son always served the older son, always, 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 always. Whatever son was born first, he got the greatest amount of inheritance, and every other brother that was born after him always served the elder son. And yet in this instant, in in the Old Testament, we find the elder twin serving the younger twin. And you think, well, why? Did he do something wrong? Did he think something right? Did he do an action that was wrong in some way? And Paul says, no, it wasn't that way at all. It was this way because of him who calls, Romans 9 through 12, of God who calls. God chose it to be that way. He turned things around because that was God's choice. And then Paul goes on to write this, and here's the key. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. It doesn't depend on what you're going to do, What you think you're going to do, it's fully dependent upon God's choice, God's mercy. And this has led to a second view of foreknowledge. This, that before they were created, God chose people not because of anything they would do, but according to his mercy. It's all about God. See, this view holds it's all about me making my choice, and this other view holds this idea that it's all about God initiating the relationship, and I'm then responding to God's call in my life. That's how that view works. In fact, Jesus himself, before Peter or Paul ever wrote a letter at all, he said this, But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So whoever is a true follower of Christ, you're his forever, is what Jesus is saying. Then he goes on to say, My Father who has given them to me, or who has chosen them, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And so Jesus clearly places people into one or two categories. Either those who cannot hear him because they were not given to him by the Father, or those who can hear Him because they were given to Him by the Father. So i ask the question again. Does God choose me, or do I choose God? What's the answer? And I'm going to tell you the answer lies somewhere in the middle, leaning to the latter view I just talked about. Because remember, here's the excre- extremes of this view. This view holds this idea that I'm over here, I'm smart enough, and because I'm so smart, I chose God. Look at me, right? And then you got this extreme over here that says, oh, God chooses everybody, which means I don't need to evangelize at all because God's already chose them. And so I can just go home. I can be comfortable. I can sit in my hot tub. God's chosen them. They're going to come to him no matter what I do anyway. And the reality is over here, Paul and Peter, they're saying, well, nobody's that smart to choose God on your own. And over here on this extreme that, you know, God's chosen everybody, so why do we need to evangelize? You have to ask, why did Peter and Paul risk their lives and die sharing the gospel so that people would hear it? The answer, friends, lies somewhere in the middle, leaning to this view, the idea that God always initiates the relationship. And I say this because this is the theme throughout Scripture, Old Testament to New Testament. Think about this. It's very clear that God chose Noah. It's also very clear that God chose Abraham. It's clear that God chose Moses. And think about this now. Jesus shows up at the scene 2,000 years ago, and Jesus chooses his own disciples. You think, well, that's no big deal, except we need to understand that that is not how it worked. A potential disciple always chose their rabbi. And so now Jesus chooses his own disciples, continuing this theme that we see in the Old Testament. We also need to know this, friends, that while it's clear that God initiates the relationship by choosing people or calling people to himself, something else is also clear, that every single one of these people also had a choice. Think about this. Noah had to choose between embracing God's call or caving into peer pressure. Abraham had to choose between God's future blessing or his present comfort. Abraham was very well off. And Moses... He had to choose between God's assigned mission for him or just staying safely at home. And if you read this, God calls Moses, and Moses has an argument with God. He says, okay, you're all messed up, God. I mean, there got to be somebody else you can choose, somebody else who can talk, somebody else who can do this. And it points to the reality that even though God would call someone and choose someone, sometimes years will go by, sometimes decades before that person will ever respond. The disciples, they heard Jesus say, Come, follow me. They had to choose between dropping their nets and following Him or dropping Christ's offer. Scripture makes it clear, friends, that it all starts with God. But we need to receive it. We need to respond. John wrote this, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. So nothing that we can do It's all about God, John says. Make it clear, it always starts with God. And also one thing, about this this principle, people want to focus on, well then, who did God choose? Did he choose these people or not these people? And and what Peter is writing about here, friends, is this is how you will know that you're chosen. He's giving assurance to people, helping them to understand, if you're wondering, here's how you know that you are chosen by God. So let me start this way, by saying it this way. I want you to imagine yourself before three doors. Take a look here. You're going to choose. This is a spiritual life decision. Am I going to choose door number one, door number two, or am I going to choose door number three? And so you consider the options and after a while say, you know what, I'm going to choose door number two. And so, as you open up the door and you step through door number two, because it feels like your choice, you're opening the door. And as you step through the doorway and look back, on the other side you see the word chosen. See, it feels to you like it's your choice, but the reason why you chose the door to begin with was because God set His mercy, His compassion, His grace, His love on you, calling you and drawing you to Himself. It always starts with God. It's a mystery. it always starts with Him. I don't deserve to be chosen, and neither do you. We'd all be lost if not for God's choice to save us and our choice to respond. And once we get that clear, we get to the key idea of what Peter's talking about here, and it's this. God chose us to change us. Will you say that with me? God chose us to change us. And how does He change us? Well, Peter writes, God changes us through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Now, to sanctify something is to set it apart in order to make it holy, in order to preserve it. Okay, when I was a kid, growing up, I built model cars. Um, I built, I don't even know how many, 50, 60, 70 old model cars from the 20s, 30s, 40s. I put a whole lot of money and a lot of time into these. And then I realized one day, well, they're not all going to last, right? So which ones do I want to make sure last? And so I asked my uncle to help me build this case And the ones that I wanted to preserve or set apart from the others, I put in this glass case. And the others I put in boxes. Now, if you're going to go with me to my mom's house in Jenison, Michigan today, and you're going to walk in the basement, if we open those boxes, you'll see these models all broken into pieces, wheels broken off, axles broken into two. But you can still go to that glass case. And those models look just as good today as they did 40 years ago. They've been set apart. And this is what God does with us. And even though He does this with us, friends, it's always important to remember that God does not wait for us to change before choosing us. He chooses us, and then He brings about the idea that with His help, with His power, He's going to change us. See, I can never be good enough for God. You can never be good enough for God. The reality is this. No matter what you've done in your past, the things you tried to hide, things you don't want anyone to know about, Even though you got those things in your closet, and everyone does, God saw you, He set His affection upon you, and He began calling you to Himself. And that one day, when you chose to follow Him, is the day then that He started this effort to change you. To change you, to make you more and more like Jesus Christ, His Son. And how is this accomplished? Peter writes, Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ for obedience to Jesus Christ. Here's the order. Here's kind of how it works. We are chosen by the Father, changed by the Spirit so we can experience obedience to Jesus. We are chosen by the Father, changed by the Spirit so we can experience obedience to Jesus. Will you say that with me? We are chosen by the Father, changed by the Spirit so we can experience obedience to Jesus. So here's where Peter's getting to. And he's getting to us asking this question. How do I know that I've been chosen? How do I know? How do you know if you've been chosen? How do you know if you're a Christian? The answer is this. There's clear evidence in your life of your obedience to Jesus. Jesus stated it this way. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Just, it's just going to be obvious. They're going to have fruit overflowing in their lives. By their fruit, you will recognize them because obedience to Jesus always produces fruit. It produces the fruitful Christian life. It kind of looks like this. Take a look at this image on the screen. Here's the fruitful Christian life. And how does this come about? Well, first of all, you've got to have Christ at the center. So you always have to ask, do I have Christ at the center of my life? It starts with Christ at the center. And from that relationship now, with Christ at the center of your life, flows obedience and prayer. The idea that you're talking to God. You're listening to Him and responding to Him. And from that relationship with Christ at the center, flows your obedience and outreach. The idea that you cannot keep Jesus to yourself. And so you share Him through your words and through your actions. And then from that relationship with Christ at the center then, flows your obedience in God's word. The idea that I want to know Christ more through opening God's word. I want to be like a sponge. I want to take it in and I want to grow. And then from that relationship with Christ at the center flows obedience in community. The idea that I want to grow in Christ with others who are focused on Christ. It's one reason why they brought up earlier this idea of membership. The idea that we're saying, you know what, we we want you to really consider being a member here. Because what it means is, this is my family. This is my community. And together, we're going to be changed to be more like Jesus. But it's always a together thing, not a Lone Ranger Christian thing. Okay? It's the idea that this is what a fruitful Christian life looks like. So stop here in a moment. Take a look at that image on the screen. Is that you? Is that you? Do you have a couple spokes missing? Yeah, I pray. I I, I do a community. I come to church pretty often. I don't really read His Word. I don't know. I'm not really sharing my faith. uh, Yeah, I've got a couple spokes missing. The fruitful Christian life brings all of this together, friends. This is what He wants for us. And we walk in this kind of fruitful obedience to Jesus, Peter writes, because we are sprinkled with His blood sprinkled with his blood. Now it's kind of an odd concept when you think about it in our modern day terms because if you and I, on this incredibly beautiful, 70 degree, sunny day, went downtown Cincinnati together to walk the streets and we had blood sprinkled all over us as we're walking through the streets, either we'd end up on the news or in a padded room. Or both, right? I mean, people aren't used to this. So what in the world is Peter talking about here? He's talking about the fact that we are all inflicted with a significant problem. A significant problem. Now, this coming November, I'm going to be living here in Cincinnati for two years. So I'm just shy of two years being here. And I've been listening to people. I've been listening to you. I've been listening to people at Kroger. I've been listening to people as I'm gassing up at the gas station. And I don't know if you're aware of it, but there are some significant problems here in Cincinnati. Okay? There just are. There just are. They're they're out there. I've been hearing about them. For example, you might think that an inch of snow here in Cincinnati is a problem. I hear you talking about it already. And I tell you what, I'm from Michigan, and an inch of snow is just a good start, okay? But people are going, oh, what a problem. We're going to get an inch of snow. In fact, I remember when I first started here. It was only like a month later. I came to church here one day, and I'm working at the computer, working on a message, and two hours went by, three hours went by, and I realized, like, there is no one here. You know, I'm, I'm like, did Christ come back? Was I left behind? You know, what's going on? So I called somebody up and said, where is everybody? He said, well, it's a snow day. I'm like, snow day. I looked up and I'm not lying at all. There wasn't any snow on the ground at all, nor was there snow falling at all. In fact, the snow started to fall at 4 o'clock that day, long after the kids would have been home from school. That's a snow day in Cincinnati, okay? So some of you think an inch of snow in Cincinnati is a problem. Others of you, I heard you say, you, think, you might think that the Bengals' failure to advance through the playoffs, right? That's a problem. In fact, I'm hearing people talk about the fact that, are they going to do it this year? Are they finally going to finally do it this year? I'm hearing people talk like that. And then, don't want to get too personal here, but I've been hearing people talk ever since I got here. And you might think that a failure to have any substance in a bowl of chili offered by a particular restaurant here in Cincinnati is a problem. And I don't want to name the the place. I'm looking upwards. Um, If it helps you at all. But people are saying, where's the beef? I mean, that's not chili. It's like water. I mean, where's the beef? This is a problem, right? All of these problems in Cincinnati. I'll tell you what. We face a much bigger problem than any of that. We face a problem that says, you know what? It causes us to seek our own glory instead of God's glory. And it's called sin. Sin. Peter says, but here's the good news. Here's the good news. God has always had a plan. He planned to choose people for salvation. He then planned to redeem them and sanctify them through Christ's shed blood on the cross. Friends, Christ shed blood on the cross is the best news that you and I could ever have imagined. Because of Him, because of Christ's obedience, because He went to the cross for us, we can have life, we can have a relationship with the Father, we can have peace for today, and we can have hope for tomorrow. This is what we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, friends, once we start to get a grasp of who we are, Because we know that we've been called, we've been chosen by the very God who created this world. The very God who set his affection on us. And once we start to get a grasp of who we are, Peter writes that we're going to finally and fully experience his grace and peace in abundance. Not just a little bit of peace, not just a little bit of grace. Not just enough peace or grace, but we're going to have peace and grace and abundance once we understand who we are and we live out who we are. Basically, Peter says this, no peace, no Jesus. Friends, think about it. We are chosen. And God chose us to change. the primary ways that he changes us is for us to live in community, focused on God's word, spending time in prayer, and then going out and changing the world together. That's what Peter's talking about. That's also why over the past month here at MCC, we've been talking about something. We've been announcing it. We've been sending emails about it because we've been asking ourselves this question. How can we help our congregation to have a fruitful Christian life? To have this all. And where can these four things all come together and we can assure us that that we are really, as the Bible says, we're equipping you for good works. That's the job of leadership. What does that look like? How could we do this? And we've been talking about grow groups. Will you take this out? It was probably on your seat when you came in or handed to you when you came in. And friends, I just want you to stop here in the moment and just hear me out. That this isn't just a good idea. It's not just a nice effort we're putting forward as a church. We've asked ourselves, how can we help people to live and serve like Jesus? And what's the model he gave us? Community, friends. That's why we're focused so much on groups. I had somebody a couple weeks ago here at MCC tell me, you know what, I, I think this is a great idea, but you know, I'm not really designed to be in groups and be in community with people. I'm better off by myself. And to that I would say this. God made it clear we are made in the image of God. And God himself lives in community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if God himself lives in community and we are made in the image of God, then we need to live in community. That's why we're talking about grow groups here, friends. Will you take this out? And grow groups, it says right down here, are ongoing groups designed to provide communities that learn to live and be more like Christ. And so we're offering you basically three different kinds of grow groups. If you open it up to the left-hand side, you'll see small groups there to the left. These small groups are really kind of mixed groups, men and women. If you're married, great place to go. If you're single, perhaps you still want to be in a mixed group with men and women growing in Christ. And what we've done for you is we've just kind of listed it and made it easy for you. you just got to think, when am I most available? Sunday morning, we've got small groups available for you. Sunday evening, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. We don't yet have any groups on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. We're going to come back around to that in just a moment. Friends, I don't want you to just think about it and just pray about diving in. Friends, let's do this. And let's live in community together. Will you join a small group? Or perhaps you're out there going, you know what, I just need to grow. Just like that, that Chris did when he came up and asked me. He wanted to know how to be a better man, a better husband, a better father. You're saying, that's where I'm at right now. Well, that's why we offer groups For men, that's the middle flap there. And you're going to see we have offerings on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. On Wednesday, it's called 33 The Series. That's what we used to call men's fraternity here. It's been rebranded, reshaped. It's going to make an incredible impact. But if you're a guy, I encourage you to sign up and dive in. And then if you're a woman, you're saying, you know, I just want to be a better woman of God, a better wife, a better leader. Well, we have groups for women on the back In fact, on Tuesday, we have a host of opportunities, and then at the bottom, we have opportunities on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday as well as addition to Tuesday. We have all these possibilities for you, friends, so I'm going to ask you to do a couple things. First of all, the only way to get into a group is to go on our website, mcc.us, hit the tab there, and sign up for a group. And so please don't just think about it. Get on your phones, go home and on your computers and say what night, what morning do I have most available and start diving in, friends. Start diving in. Sign up online to be part of a group today. And then secondly, I'm going to ask that this card that's part of your flyer here, it's a tear-off portion. I'm going to ask that you fill that out because what you'll see here is that there's more opportunities. You're listing your name here and information and then what day you might have available to be in a group And what we're looking for is people who might be available on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. We're trying to create more groups. Let us know if you're available. If our groups fill up, this is the form we're going to use to contact you when more groups are made available so you can dive in. So let us know your information. If you want to lead a group, check that box as well, and let us know if you want to lead or join a group when you're available, and then tear this portion off and drop it in the box as you exit here in just a few moments. encourage you to do that. And if you're in an existing group here at MCC, been part of a small group for years, I want to encourage you to register and attend one of our orientation sessions. And you'll find that online as well. In fact, many of the people who have been leading groups for years have taken this orientation session and said, wow, I wish I would have had this information 20 years ago. So we're not wasting your time. Okay, so please dive into this because the reality, friends, is that Peter tells us that God chose us Why did He choose us? To change us. And how does He change us? In community, where we're studying God's Word, focused on prayer, and changing the world together. And that's why we're offering our Grow Groups. Friend, I don't know where you came from today. I don't know what your past week has been like. Some of you are hurting, like the pastor I just shared about a few moments ago. You've got a history that's haunting you yet here's the reality you're here today because god is calling you drawing you to himself and that's why you're here otherwise you wouldn't be here and so the reality friends is that you are a treasure you are precious you are prized he calls you he's chosen you to follow him and how could we not but respond to a God godlike What could we possibly say? What could we possibly do but just to say yes to a God who loves us that much? And so as we close today, let us be humble, let us be amazed, and let's sing of this incredible God who's called us.